Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made and we all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together." Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, thanks, Joe. Hey, good morning. You guys grab a seat. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors, and I want to thank you for swimming into church today. Uh, it's great to have you. Man, uh, here, here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of family business going on. You just heard about Will Gaines becoming a pastor on Thursday. Uh, one other thing I want to let you know of is next Sunday, one of our other pastors, Pastor Aaron Addison, is going to be returning back from his sabbatical. A sabbatical is something that we, yeah, you can clap for Aaron. He's a great guy. And uh, some of you have not even met Aaron, and that's, that's awesome too, but he, uh, he actually is a pastor in our church. And uh, Aaron has been on a sabbatical for us. Sabbatical is not something you do if you get in trouble or if you've got secret sin in your life or if you're burned out. Sabbatical is something that every seven years of ministry at Frontline as a pastor, we gift that to our pastors to teach them what it is to just be a Christian first and then be a husband and then be a dad and then be someone who serves the church. So that way you can remember priorities and have time to rest and play and experience the love and affection of God in new ways. So he's coming back. Give him a huge hug. He loves hugs. He's a very physical person. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. He hates hugs. So you should definitely give him a hug. Um, okay. And we're talking about something today that I think is significant. But if you're here and you're like, I don't know what I feel about the church, I think this will be helpful for you too. I actually think this might be most helpful for you. So 
with that in mind, I wanna take a second, I wanna pray for us, and if you have your Bibles while I'm praying, you can uh, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Father, thank you for today, and we pray as we enter into this, this uh, conversation about what it is to be a part of your church, I, I just wanna pause and say, I know there's nothing that I could say to do this justice, but it is amazing to me that you took people like us and brought us into your church. And I pray that that would not be lost on us today. I pray that today we would encounter your love and your affection and what it is to be brought into the body of Christ, brought in to individually connected to you and to one another. And so would you bring conviction where we need conviction? Bring a sense of joy where we need that, God, where we need to be reminded and rehearse again the story. We pray that you would do that through the power of your spirit. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're talking about covenant membership today, and we're talking about why membership in the local church is the most significant thing about you. And that statement right there, let's just pause and sit in that for a minute. Covenant membership in the local church is one of the most profound, significant things that a person could ever do. Now, I know when I say that, that that's like, most of us maybe are like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, I don't believe that to be emphatically true, or I haven't really considered it from that forceful perspective. So it brings with it a lot of tension. And so I just want to lean into that for just a minute and pause and say, why is that true? Why is it so significant to be a part of the church? And as we think about this, let's just throw this question out. What do you think of when you hear the term the church? What comes to mind? For me, more and more, what comes to mind when I think of the church is the paradoxical nature of the church. What I mean is the church is a living, breathing paradox. You know, a paradox is something that it's like doesn't feel like these two realities could be true at the same time. They feel almost like they're opposites, and yet they are true at the same time. They're held in tension together. So think about the paradoxical nature of the church for just a minute. According to Ephesians chapter 3, the church is a sermon that God is using to preach to the world and specifically demonic powers his manifold wisdom. The church is the manifold wisdom of God put on display for people to see. Now, here's what's crazy about that. Almost never do I, woke up on a, do I wake up on a Monday morning feeling like our church is the manifold wisdom of God. In fact, most of the time I wake up on a Monday morning and I feel like we are really wasting our time here. Or there's so many failures, or what are we doing? There's so many ways that we could be better. I don't wake up on Monday thinking, we're the manifold wisdom of God. And yet, that's true of us. What a crazy paradox. Here's another one. The church is the body of Christ. And this has taken on new meaning for me as we've gone through the gospel of Mark, and we're watching Jesus and his physical body walk around outside of Nazareth and in Galilee and Capernaum doing ministry. And what do we see Jesus and his body doing? He's eating with sinners. He's touching people who are sick and they're healed. He's coming to people who are on the outside of society and he's bringing them in. He's, he's teaching with authorities, casting out demons. He's doing all these profound things. And the church is meant to be the body of Christ, meaning the very presence of God on planet earth, meant to eat with sinners the way Jesus did, meant to reach out and touch the sick so that they could be healed. Take those who are on the outside and bring them into the love of God. And yet so often the church is found not functioning that way at all. We're the body of Christ, but sometimes we build walls between us and them. 
Sometimes we avoid people because we don't like their lifestyle. Sometimes we treat people with harshness or ways that Jesus would have never treated somebody. So there's this paradox where we are the body of Christ, that is true, and yet a lot of the times the way we function doesn't live up to that, does it? Another one, one more, the church is the bride of Christ. We're pursued by God. We're loved by God. We are chosen by God. We are the ones that God set his eye of affection and love on and brought us into a covenant marriage relationship. Marriage is just a picture of the type of affection and love that God has for his bride. And yet as a bride of Christ, meant to be responsive to his leadership, joyful in our submission, wrapping our lives around him as our husband, so many times we're running after lesser loves. We're pursuing things that take us away from him. We're sinning in ways that resemble uh, adultery in a marriage and our relationship with God. There's this paradox where we are the bride of Christ, but sometimes the way that we live just doesn't look like it at all, right? Uh, There's a book called Love One Another by Gerald Sitzer, and in that, he describes this paradox this way. He says, when the church is functioning at its best, there simply is no community on earth that can rival it. But when the church is functioning at its worst, there's no community on earth that can do as much damage. History itself proves the point. The church has served untold millions, as is evidenced by the number of churches, hospitals, orphanages, schools, and relief agencies that Christians have founded and operated. In fact, it's crazy to think about if you remove the church from the city, there really would be a dramatic effect felt, even if often people don't realize it. He goes on, he says, but the church has brutalized untold millions as the medieval inquisition and the religious wars of the 17th century also demonstrate. So how do we respond to this paradox where it's like the church is the best thing when we're functioning at our best and the church is one of the worst things when we're functioning at our worst? How do we respond? Well, there's a lot of temptations for uh, ways of responding to this paradox. Let me just give you three of them that I see playing out again and again and again. The first one is cynical withdrawal. Cynical withdrawal. What I mean is, uh, if you're under the age of 40 especially, and that's a little bit arbitrary, but it's sort of anecdotal just doing ministry here at Frontline South and talking to other pastors in similar contexts, what I'm seeing with a lot of people that are 40 and under is that they have been really, really kind of beaten down, if you will, by all the failures of the church, especially over the last few years. They've seen uh, leaders that they trusted blow up their lives. They've seen the church that they thought cared about morality get in bed with a certain political system that really doesn't care about morality at all. They've seen the church compromise left and right and resemble the world in such a way that's really distracting and confusing. They've seen the, world, they've seen the church mistreat women and leadership that are godly and amazing and they've pushed them out and they've been harsh and cruel. And so what's happening with a lot of people that are seeing the failures of the church and their 40 and under age group is they're just kind of throwing up their hands saying, I don't even know what the church is anymore. Like I thought I knew what the church was and I'm really not sure that it is what I thought it was. There's a song called Citizens by one of my uh, favorite artists, John Guerra, and he describes this reality in his song. He says, I have a heart full of questions, quieting all my suggestions. What is the meaning of Christian in this American life? I'm feeling awfully foolish spending my life on a message. I look around and I wonder ever if I heard it right. 
It's just like, I don't even know what the church is and it is even. I don't even know why I should care. And I'm really starting to deconstruct everything. And maybe this is just better if I walk away. Cynical withdrawal is a real temptation, right? That's the first one that I see playing out again and again. The second one is critical finger pointing. For those of us that actually do see the failures of the church, for those of us that, that actually are aware of the brokenness, one of the temptations that you and I face is that we can quickly become uh, the accuser of the bride of Christ. That what we can do is actually spot the failures and allow that to not drive us to want to see the church grow and thrive and flourish, but it can cause us to step in in such a way and, and point our finger and say, look at all the ways that you failed. And let me just be pastorally honest. This isn't applicable to all of you, but I am worried about some of you because you're so connected to social media and podcast and the issues that are affecting the church at large that instead of that bringing out this more peaceful way of engaging the church, it's creating even more anxiety, even more frustration, even more bitterness, even more discontentment. And often what I'm worried is gonna happen is that we're gonna fall into this thing where we do what Diedrich Bonhoeffer warned us of and we become this, type of approach to the church where we have a wish dream of community and that wish dream of what we want the church to be and look like actually destroys what it actually is. That's a real danger. This, it's the opposite of just cynically withdrawing. It's being present, but in a critical way, pointing a finger. And here's why this is a big deal. Because remember, friends, the church is the bride of Christ, so let's be a little bit cautious before we start accusing her and throwing our finger at her because the church already has an accuser. The job is taken and we don't need to play that role, right? Let's be a little bit more cautious. Yeah, she's a hot mess, but Jesus loves her to death. Here's the third thing that I think is a temptation. And this is consumeristic bouncing, consumeristic bouncing. I think this affects people, again, this is a bit arbitrary, but 40 and up. You know, this is one of those things that I think if you're over the age of 40, it's more likely a temptation for you. As a pastor, I hear statements all the time like, I just wasn't getting fed at that church, you know, or uh, like, well, I just didn't really like the worship. And that one's always a little awkward for me to hear because I'm like, shouldn't Jesus being the one to say that? Like, I, did, I didn't really care for that church's worship, you know, like that should be Jesus's comment about us, not like our comment about it's like the worship isn't for you. You do know that, right? It's actually directed towards God, the father, son and spirit. And so it's a little irrelevant if you like it or not. Um, and so I think what happens over time is that we can become, as C.S. Lewis says, connoisseurs or tasters of the church where we're kind of, you know, sipping, ooh, this church has this and this church has that. And I don't like this thing over here. So I'm going to, and then we just kind of buffet style, create the type of church that we want. And friends, when that's, when that's your relationship to the church, it's actually not being anything that's formational for you or actually discipleship oriented for you. It's really just about you. And that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to do is bring you and me out of ourselves. So there's all of these temptations, right? There's consumeristic bouncing, there's critical finger pointing, there's cynical withdrawal, and there's a million others, but these are just some of the ones that we see playing out today. So I, I, here's the title of my sermon, and no, no one really usually cares about the title of my sermon, so I never really say it, but it matters to me today. I've titled this sermon, Why You Shouldn't Give Up on the Church. Like, if you don't hear anything else today, here's my plea with you, don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. Why? Why should you not give up? Well, let's talk about it. In this passage that we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's fascinating that it's written by a guy named Paul. 
Why does that matter? Because Paul, at one time, was known by the name of Saul, and he was a Pharisee, he was a religious leader, that hated the church. He hated the church so much he tried to kill the church. He tried to destroy the church. He was arresting Christians and throwing them in jail. He wanted the church to go away. According to Saul, the church is everything that's wrong in the world. What happened? Saul met Jesus. He had an encounter with the risen Christ that changed him. And over time, Paul goes from persecutor of the church to planter of churches. How does he do that? He goes from trying to kill the church to seeing all these other churches started all across his known world at the time. And what he's doing in this passage is actually writing about the significance of the church. Let that sink in. If you are skeptical of the church, you're hearing a guy who is so skeptical of the church that he tried to kill it, and now he's talking about the beauty of the body of Christ, one of the most incredible metaphors for understanding our relationship to Jesus and to one another as the church. So let's look at it together. Chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying when Jesus saved you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he didn't just save you from sin. That's a big deal. He did save you from sin, but he actually saved you into his body. And often this doesn't get emphasized enough. Most of us grew up in a church context that only talked about God loves you and he died for you and he wanted to forgive you of your sins so that you could be saved from hell. Like, well, okay, there's definitely truth there, but what did he save us into? He saved us into his body. And so when you talk about being a follower of Jesus, it's not just that you're this autonomous, isolated individual, you were actually, when you got baptized, when you repented of your sin and placed faith in Jesus, you went under the waters of baptism and you came back up out of the water. You came back up with an entirely new set of identities, primarily oriented around Jesus's body. You're a member now of his body, the church. And not member like, uh, you know, if you become a member of the Y, or for me, uh, three months ago, I'm not very proud to admit it, but I'm now a member of Weight Watchers. True story. That's a true story. I'm a middle-aged man on Weight Watchers. Never thought that would happen, but it's happened. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I pay a monthly fee, and I'm a member. If I don't like it, I just kind of stop paying the monthly fee, and I can't use the app anymore. Most of us treat membership in the church that way. That's not what it means. It's not like a card-carrying member that you pay a fee for. Being a member means like you're now an eye or a kidney or a foot. Like you're so brought in that you are a part of the body. You're a member of this body. Does that make sense? Okay, so in light of that, three things that I want to unpack real briefly with you. Here's the first one. Church membership as counterculture. Church membership as counterculture. One of the reasons why it's hard for us to talk about membership in the local church is because um, this goes against everything that we value as a society. Everything that we value as a culture says, just do you. And if anything restricts you, if anything holds you down, if anybody ever tells you no of really expressing your truest self, then that is dangerous. That's psychologically harmful, and you should get out of that relationship. 
right? So we're actually swimming in a society and in a culture where your truest identity is the one that you craft and that you form, the one that's inside, usually based on you know, your truest self that you need to express to the world. And, and that can't be changed or restricted or you know, brought underneath any other identity. And here's what's so fascinating. Actually, this is the most countercultural way of describing our connectedness to one another and to Jesus is as the body of Christ. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes how you and I have been brought in. It's gonna, it's gonna absolutely crash and clash with our culture. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Just imagine, it's hilarious almost to imagine, right? Your eye like, hey hand, you know, forget you. I don't need you anymore. Like that's just, we know that that's not the way the body works. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Have you ever like broken your pinky finger? It ruins your life for whatever reason. You're like, I can't function. I can't do anything. I've never cared one day about my pinky, but I broke it. Now like I realize how significant it is. And on those parts of the body, verse 23, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26, listen to this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Do you see how connected we are? That now when you are having a hard time, we are this connected that now I'm having a hard time. When one of us rejoices, we're all rejoicing. When one of us has a burden, it's as if it's all all of our burdens. This is a big deal. We're no longer autonomous, disconnected individuals. Now we're dependent upon one another. We're no longer just free to live however we want. We're accountable to God and we are accountable to one another. We actually cannot experience true flourishing on our own. Now we actually need connectedness to Jesus and to one another to experience real flourishing. Now this is like diametrically opposed to how a lot of us envision the church. A lot of us kind of treat it like this, like here's us and then we have our hobbies that we go and do and then we have our jobs that we go and do. And then we have our interests that we have. And then we have our sports teams. And, then we, and, it's, and, and uh, we're at the middle of it, right? But actually what Jesus wants to do is change this up with this metaphor. And he wants to say, here at the center is the body of Christ. You're a part of that now. And it's as the body of Christ that you then go and do your job. It's as the body of Christ that you then go and you have your interests. It's as the body of Christ that you then go and do your hobbies and your sports teams and all your... Th- but your truest identity here is actually body of Christ. Does that make sense? One is self is at the center. One is body of Christ is at the center. And that reorients your whole identity around Jesus and his church. That's a big deal. That is like completely countercultural. And friends, our, our world desperately needs to see Christians that don't have self at the center, but have Jesus and his body at the center. That would be a game changer. Don't give up on the church because it's countercultural. Here's the second thing. Church membership is transformational. I recently read a Barna research poll that was basically saying there's a lot of people that claim to be followers of Jesus and yet attend church rarely or only occasionally. And when polled on why, why is it that you claim to be a Christian but you only 
rarely or occasionally attend the church, their answer was, well, we practice our faith or worship in other ways. We practice our faith in other ways or we worship on our own. And so implicitly what's being said in that is I actually can have a thriving, flourishing relationship to Jesus and I don't really need connection to the body of Christ for that. Like I can actually just have a relationship with Jesus that's marked by me and my family or me and myself or me and a buddy and that's significant enough that I don't need this thing called the church. But the problem is that the body of Christ metaphor, we just know if you think of, it, of, of like a physical body, it doesn't work that way. Like uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at a, uh, a retreat with some of our pastors to do some prayer and planning for the new season that we're gonna be stepping into and some of the ways that we're wanting to see spiritual formation happen in our church. We were eating dinner one night and JJ Side, one of our pastors, was, uh, was, he, he had a potato peeler and it was like the sharpest potato peeler I've ever seen. And he was using it to like slice an orange. And he just goes, whoosh. And he comes in the room and, and it's like squirting blood. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like laughing to him. So he's like seriously the craziest, toughest guy I know. And uh, he's like kind of chuckling. It's like squirting blood. And we look down and there's like a large piece of his finger and his fingernail on the ground. I actually have a picture of it right here. I'm just kidding. I don't... I, <laughs> I actually do have a picture of it. I'm just not gonna show you because I was like, I have got to capture this moment. This is unbelievable. And here, here's why I bring that up because like his little finger that's on the ground, it, he's fine, by the way. It's just a finger. It, he'll be fine. He, he, here's the thing. It's not going to grow back or thrive or be healthy. Like it's now just a dead piece of skin. Why? Some of you are so grossed out. I'm sorry. Why? because it's been amputated from the body. Friends, that makes sense on every physical level. It is the same with the body of Christ. We're so connected that when you slice one of us off, we're not gonna thrive or flourish. You're just gonna lay there on the floor, right? Ephesians 4, 15 says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's actually impossible, hear me, it's impossible to experience real thriving, real flourishing, real, real spiritual formation and discipleship apart from relationship to Jesus and his church. It's impossible. It cannot be done. Amen. Let me give you two reasons why. Here's the first one. We always think that we're better than we really are, especially me. Think we're better than we really are. Have you ever seen the photos of like what I think I look like versus what I actually look like? You know the memes, right? Story of my life. I think we kind of walk around that way as Christians. We're like, yeah, I'm generally mature. I'm generally godly. I'm generally a good person. You know, we kind of have this like self-image that's like, we're probably doing great. The reality is like when you get into community with real people and they hurt you or they say something that's like accidentally offensive and you have to deal with it or they aren't there for you in your hour of need the way that you needed them to be, then the real you comes out. And you don't really know who you are until you're connected to one another in a covenant relationship where Jesus stands between you and the other person and you are forced to relate to them the way that Jesus has related to you. Don't give up on the church. 
Here's the second reason why. You can't follow the majority of what Jesus calls you to as an isolated individual. Uh, Let me just show you, there's actually uh, some commands in scripture that all of us as followers of Jesus have to do. Uh, Let me show you a list of them. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. By the way, that, you don't have to physically do that. That's another sermon for another time. But like, you have to do the heart of that, not the physical thing. If you try to wash my feet, that's just so weird. Um, just serve people is what it's saying, right? Love one another. 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 Must be a big deal. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Next slide. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Could we pause there for just a minute? Oh my gosh. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. See feet washing. Still, you have to do the heart of it, but it's not quite, let's not try to kiss each other. Uh, When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Guys, we can't do this in isolation. How do you expect to carry out one another commands if you're just you, right? Or your spouse and your kids or your, like, it's bigger than that. You are brought into the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple of God, meant to put on display the very presence of God to the world. And there's something happening where we're commanded to do these these things together that you can't do in isolation. Don't give up on the church. Here's the third and last thing. Church membership as covenant. Now, that's a word that we don't really throw out as a culture very often, and so I need to just take a quick second before we close and define it. Covenant is such a big deal. It's more in line with what you do when you get married, where you're saying for better or for worse, richer or poor, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. Now, I'm not saying by that that like if you become a member of Frontline South, it's like till death do us part, right? I'm not saying that at all. There are seasons where it's like, you know, there, there's a good reason to leave this church and go to another church and we wanna bless you. And actually, if this isn't a good church for you, we wanna help you find another church because there's a lot of great churches out there and we just hopefully are one of, the, one of those churches that are trying to follow Jesus and do what he told us to do. So if this isn't a good fit, tell us and we'll help you get connected to a really good church. But if you're going to be a member of our church, you need to think of it in terms of covenant. I've said this before, so if you've been around for a long time, then you know this is a story that I love. I love this story so much that I got the tattoo of it, a tattoo of this scene on my arm, and it's the story of the Odyssey. The Odyssey uh, has this uh, moment in the story where Odysseus is sailing past these sirens. Do you know the story from high school? Have you ever read the Odyssey? He's sailing past the sirens, and the sirens are these like, Uh, basically they sing beautiful, beautiful music and it draws in the sailors. And as the sailors leave their ship and swim over to the sirens, as soon as they get there, the sirens bash them against the rocks and then devour the sailors. They don't know it, but actually the sirens are sitting on the bones of sailors, singing this beautiful music. And so Odysseus was warned about the sirens on his journey home. And so what he decides to do is he decides to plug his men's ears with wax so that as they're sailing past, his men can't hear the song, and he asks his men to tie him to the mast because he still wants to hear the song. 
And I love this. It's like he wants to hear them sing, but he doesn't want to get devoured. So there's this internal tension that he has within himself. So they tie him to the mast, and he says, if I try to struggle, if I try to get free, if I try to get free, tie me tighter, tie me tighter. And so what happens is they start to sail past, and he hears them, and he's, he's struggling. He's trying to break free. He wants to swim over, and they tie him tighter to the mast, and they tie him tighter to the mast. Friends, that is a beautiful metaphor of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus in a world like ours, that we're trying to make our journey home to God. And actually, there's all these songs that are singing out there that are inviting us to lesser loves and different ways of living and a different sex ethic and a different way of relating to money and a different way of relating to possessions and a different way of relating to marriage and gender and sexuality and all this stuff. There's, there's siren songs calling out. And if I'm honest with myself, there's so much inside of me that wants to go to it, that like is drawn in by that. And covenant membership is where by God's grace, he's tying us to Jesus and to the mast of the church tighter and tighter and tighter to where I can't just go blow up my life if I wanted to. He actually cares about us enough to keep us anchored to himself and to one another. That's what covenant membership is. It's where you, you look at your pastors and you say, you're my pastors. Like there's a lot of other preachers and pastors out there. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of books, but you're my pastors. And I'm going to do what Hebrews 13, 17 says. I'm going to obey you and I'm going to submit to your leadership, right? Like I'm actually going to trust you as my pastors to pastor me, to look me in my eyes and to tell me no when I need it and to help me and to be there for me and to care for my family. And it's where your pastors are looking at you and saying, you're our people, there's a lot of Christians out there, but we're going to stand before God and give an account for you. And we care about you, and we want to know you, and we want to walk with you. And it's where we look at one another as Christians in the eyes, and we say, and you're this local expression of the body of Christ. And all those one another commands, you're who we're doing this with. We're tying ourselves to the mast of Jesus and to one another so that we don't run after the siren song of sin. This is what membership in the local church is. Don't give up on the church. So where do we go from here? Well, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't just fill out the form that we emailed you with that link and update your information so that you can just have your name as some cog in a database. Use this as a moment to renew your covenant to Jesus and his church. When you're filling out the information, I tried to do this the other day when I filled out my own information and renewed my own covenant membership to the church, which is kind of important for your pastors to be members of the church, right? I tried to prayerfully do it where I was like, Jesus, I want to love these people. I want to love this place. I want to be covenanted here. I want my life to be given away here for these people, right? Do this as you do it prayerfully, not just to like get your information sent in. Because as we're receiving these, we're not just receiving it as data to throw away in some filing cabinet. We're receiving this as pastors and leaders to know who are the people that we are accountable for. So do this with that heart. See church membership as a spiritual practice that can form you into a mature follower of Jesus. Mark Sayers says this, in an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things that we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, exciting. Maybe 
the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. Don't give up on the church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I found that most people uh, who are wrestling with Christianity actually need to wrestle with it within community. And I think that one of the things that we want to invite you into is to really don't feel like you have to keep your doubts and your skepticism or your unbelief internal. You can bring it out on the table because at one point we were all doubters. I still doubt. I still struggle. I still have areas of unbelief in my heart. There's still things that are really hard for me to swallow as a Christian, even as a pastor. There's still things in scripture that I wrestle with. So like if you wrestle, welcome. This is a place where doubters and skeptics and people that don't have all their answers, just pull it out of your heart and let us process it with you because we've moved from doubt to faith even though we still struggle. Maybe we can help you move from doubt to faith too. You're invited. We love you. I wanna invite you to stand if, if, with me if you would.